Greetings and welcome to 217faith.church, the church that fits your schedule. Today we like to speak about the comprehensive God. As a result, the following statement may sound controversial to some, but I don't care. Here we go. Ready? I believe in the theory, secular theory of the Big Bang. Well, not in the same way that atheist scientists believe in it, but in a biblical sense. Genesis 1-3 reads, God said, let there be light, and so light appear. To the scientific community, the Big Bang is a representation of the beginning of all matters as we know it. And it came about according to their, their best guesses from an explosion. Have you ever seen an explosion? What does it look like? Like light, doesn't it? What is light if not simply the absence of darkness? You can recreate light in many ways, yet in order to recreate darkness, all you need to do is remove the source of light. There was no light in the beginning, and then the light appeared. This is what both Christians and atheists believe to a certain extent. The scientific faith believes that billions of years ago, the universe sprang into existence. These hypothetical guessers, if we can call them that, believe that from that expansion, the universe then began to form and evolve, which brings us to our present age. But have you ever wondered why they talk about expanding an expanding universe? Well, scientists have observed that galaxies are moving away from each other. Therefore, they conclude that if they simply uh, reverse that course, if you will, it ultimately brings everything back into a center point or a beginning. But who is to say that they have always been expanding? Scientists have even theorized that the laws of physics, as we understand them today, did not exist in the same way or function in the same way as they, as they do today, as they did in that moment of that initial expansion. Now, this, of course, is necessary explanation for them in order to validate some of these guesses and, and theories that they have, they come up with, about what happened in the beginning. I mean, this is truly fascinating for me. It truly is on a personal level. I consider myself a bit of a sci-fi nerd. I love space and science and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Now, I do call it scientific faith because it takes a lot of faith to believe what some of these folks believe. Yet if you disagree or dare to disagree with them, then you are the outcast. You are the narrow-minded one. You are the one that believes in magic rather than science. You see, under the secular beliefs of evolution, we are here by mere chance. They do not believe in the intentional intelligent design, as we Christians do based on scriptural accounts, because if they did, then many of their theories would crumble. There is, I've heard this, read, I read this before, that there is big money in scientific research, so they must perpetuate this sort of misinformation if they want to keep playing God, a little g. Yet God, big G, already exists. He already created all things, and He holds all things in His hand. The God of creation is comprehensive in His actions and knowledge, and there is none like Him. Does it take more faith to believe in a benevolent being creating all things for our enjoyment? Or that by some fantastical chance, the right amino acids came in contact with just the right protein strains and combined to form the first organism that eventually, somehow, it evolved into more and more complex individuals, ultimately bringing us, the human race, into existence? Humans who are incredibly complex organisms, capable of things that not even the fastest computers of our day can duplicate. 
Yet not just calculated machines, but also capable of compassion and growth and recreating themselves. How do these characteristics and personalities play into the theories of evolution? When God created us in his image, that meant that we received his attributes and personalities. Our very character traits come and are developed out of God's personality. This is absolutely central to our Christian faith. The Bible tells us that faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we do not see. That's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, this is a fitting description for both spiritual and secular matters. A scientist begins with a hypothesis, and they seek to prove it through experimentation. They call this the scientific process. They hope that something will be true. Yet even this intended flawless process can lead others to form a so-called consensus as they feel pressure to either refute biblical truth or to support their own research for the sake of their funding. And then what do many scientists do? The one thing that they're never supposed to do, and that is that they stop testing their hypotheses. It is supposed to be that when they duplicate, scientists that is, their results, that then of course they can claim a discovery, hoping for what is not seen, right? Seeking the proof that will validate their presuppositions. That's great and all. But if another person challenges their finding, instead of restarting the process, many these days say, no, 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 the debate is over. Now, by definition, science must keep searching for the truth, even if that truth leads them to the truth of God. Now, I believe that the question of climate change is one of these false assumptions. They, on the left, and they tend to be a lot on that side of the political spectrum, uh, they, they make an argument and they say that it is settled. It is happening and we must spend trillions of dollars to fix a problem that doesn't exist. Not as they present it. Have you heard that MIT reported that 97% of greenhouse gases are actually water vapors? Yes, the same moisture responsible for, for the weather patterns and the movement of the air at high altitudes. It makes sense. After all, our planet is covering more than 70% water. Yet you don't hear that because it does not fit the narrative pushed around these days. No, this issue is not settled. Friends, the fact that we're still arguing and talking about it proves it. While some seek truth, others refuse to even look at the complete research and dismiss it. That's not scientific process. That is politics. And politics is only meant to control people, not to seek knowledge and truth. In the Christian faith, we begin similarly, hoping for what we do not see. The evidence, however, for our faith is found in the Word of God and what God has done through our creation. We do not hope in vain that God will love us because in Scripture, He demonstrates His love for creation. He tells us and shows us time and time again. We do not hope in vain for creation to evolve because we see the natural process of God's creation and acknowledge His hand upon it. As a result, our Christian faith is not based on the mere hope that something will happen, but rather on the hope that it has already happened, and we're simply waiting for our participation in it. The first chapter in the book of Genesis grants the Christian faith all of the experimental evidence it needs to validate its, itself. And we can, I'd like for us to uh, read it together now, right there, the first chapter of Genesis, where it reads, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, 
The earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. So God saw how good it was, the light. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning. And so was the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the water to separate the water from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above it. And it happened at that way. And God named the dome sky. There was evening. There was morning. The second day. Then God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth. And he named the gathered waters the sea. God saw how good it was, and God said, let the earth grow plants, plant life, and plant yielding seeds and fruit trees, bearing fruit with seeds inside of it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that is what happened. The earth produced plant life, plant yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside, each according to its kind. And God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will be markers that will show events and sacred seasons, days and years. There will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's exactly what happened. So God made the stars and the two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And then God said, let the water swarm with living things and let birds fly over the earth up in the dome of the sky. And God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in it, in the waters, each according to its kind. And all of the winged birds and all of the winged birds above according to their kinds. And God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawl on the ground, and God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us, so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, of the birds of the sky, and of the livestock under the earth, and all of the crawling things that they are. And God created humanity in God's image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female. And God created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and master it. 
Take charge over this fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants of the earth that yield seed and all the trees whose fruit produce seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky and to everything crawling on the ground. To everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw that everything he had made, and it was supremely good. There was evening, and there was morning, and this was the sixth day. We thank you, Lord, for your holy word. From our biblical perspective, there is a beautiful natural order to God's creation. I like to imagine a formless earth, perhaps even just a floating planet, a floating ball, you know, just hanging there in the air. And then God begins to bring order into chaos, separating the heavens from the earth, creating seasons to the introduction of lights, bringing about a supercontinent of dry land surrounded by water. I happen to believe that the formation of tectonic plates doesn't actually take place till later on during the accounts of Noah. You can read that in, in Genesis chapter 7. Then it continues on to plant seeds that take time to germinate, then provide the light in the sky to aid with the photosynthesis process. Lastly, animal life is brought into existence in an intentional order. The sea creatures first, the birds of the sky next, and then the land animals. And of course, last but not least, us, part of that, the human, humankind itself. All are commanded to create and recreate the efforts of God, and reproduce themselves, bringing life from what was already alive. You see, the fish were not asked to bring about land life or animals, and land animals were not expected to bring life that would fly in the skies. Neither was humanity required to produce anything but a multiplication of itself. The same goes for trees and plants and everything else that God created. God's creation is perfect and flawless, and it easily accounts for the beginning of all things, including our human existence. Therefore, it is in that creation that we can witness the evidence of God's existence. Allow me to explain what I mean. First of all, creation itself insists on a creator. The Kepler telescope recently viewed the furthest galaxies we have ever seen, and it's breaking down much of what astronomers believe as to what happened at the beginning of things and our own development. King David in the scriptures, it says that he looked up at the skies and he proclaimed, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moons and the star, which you ordain, what is man that you are mindful of him? Even famous astrophysicist Stephen Hawkins indicated that the universe had not existed forever, but that indeed had a beginning. Dr. Jeffrey Fall, another renowned scientist, has proclaimed that there is no past eternity of matter, meaning, of course, that it all began at some point. But a beginning from what? What was there before our understanding of the beginning? Friends, don't get me wrong. I do believe that scientific truth is valid. Absolutely. But not if it denies the evidence of God's existence and the God's creation timetables as we stare right in front of our eyes. Secondly, life itself necessitates a creator. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, clearly the chicken and the rooster. 
so that they can make the egg and fertilize it, right? An egg by itself does not reproduce life. Therefore, God created the chicken and the rooster. No one has been able to recreate life in any form through the evolution and its perception of creation and that process. Scientists have tried, but it never produces anything resembling the proper proteins for life. The laws of biogenesis tell us that life can only come from life. And still, so many scientists dismiss the idea of a divine creator, a living being who gives us life. As many refuse the creator, ironically, they create their own religion out of unscientific atheism, if we can call it that. Nobel Prize winning scientist George Wall indicates that there are only two options when it comes to creation and that we can believe in. That's either spontaneous uh, generation, which is evolution, or the supernatural act, which is the divine intelligent design of God. And still, even after this very scientist provides these scientific possibilities, he still chooses to believe in the spontaneous side of things. Rather than acknowledge the obvious, which he alludes to, it is like there right in front of his face. It's kind of like people that smoke and they know it's bad for them, but they still do it anyways. Some of these folks know the truth, yet they refuse it. Life comes from the life giver, Genesis 2.2. We have an explanation of the creation of humanity. It is not a second creation event, as some secular historians claim, but it is a description of what was already introduced at the end of Genesis 1. In this regulation, we read that God formed humanity, like he did with the other animals, out of the ground, and he breathed life into them, and it became a living thing. As a result of now possessing life, humanity is able to go and be fruitful and multiply. Life giving life. By the way, this is why we don't find graves upon graves of human remains, right? It's estimated that about 100 billion people have ever lived. Where are all the bones? Well, because from the ground we came into the dirt we return when we die. So it is decomposed into the ground. Thirdly, laws require a lawgiver. Science cannot explain the origin of things, yet the Bible gives us such a valid and consistent answers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible does not say specifically when. You can calculate that by looking at the ages of folks, but that it happened in the beginning. As part of his creation, God sets in motion different laws, as we call them, that direct the movements and predicts his actions. Complicated things like gravity or strong and weak force time and space that help us to, to grasp, to begin to understand what God already knows. Additionally, science cannot explain the many different laws that exist. They can only discover them and seek then to understand them. Why do we have a, a weak force and a strong force if it's not to necessitate the holding of atoms together to give them the energy that they need to function? Yet it cannot be duplicated. Just attempted to explain it. These laws have existed since the creation of all things. Once again, Stephen Hawking recognized that the only way to have these theories is if the laws of physics hold everywhere. It is reasonable then to conclude that these laws, as specific and tuned as they are, are the result of an intentional creation, not randomness. Fourth, design entails. A designer. Not only do we have predictable metaphysical laws, but we also see tremendous evidence for intelligent design all around. 
Einstein once expressed his admiration for what he referred to as the intelligence found in nature. What other evidence do you need for a great intelligence standing behind it all, sustaining it and encouraging it to nature itself? Friends, science and religion and faith did not have to be at war. We can complement each other. Yet evolutionists need billions of years for their theories to develop from a single cell organism to a complex one. But we can read how God spoke things into creation and they are meant to look at, they look like at the event, at the creation event. When God created mankind, they were fully grown, functioning individuals. There were not two babies rolling around in the grass, but indeed they were capable, grown people, male and female, able to propagate themselves as this was God's command to them. So if God can create humankind to look fully grown as functioning humans, it is not a giant leap of faith to believe that God spoke the universe into existence exactly the way that it looks to us now. Yes, even with the appearance of galaxies being billions of light years away because of the time it would take their life to travel to us. It was simply created that way. Consider the human eye. Even Darwin himself admitted that the complex organisms such as the eye would be difficult to explain, utilizing his theories regarding the step-by-step -step necessaries uh, in evolution. He believed this many years before scientists came to identify and discover how much more complex the human eye truly is, ever more than Darwin could ever imagine. Yet these misguided theories persist. My favorite car in the world is the Stingray Corvette, and I doubt that I will ever be able to afford one of these incredible machines. Yet, when I see one coming down the street, I enjoy its form, its design. To me, it's beautiful. I have never thought to myself, I wonder what life form this car evolved from. Was it, was it a Camaro, or was it the Model T itself? Of course not. It was clearly designed and developed by humans. If something appears designed, then there must be a designer a creator. Those who refuse to put their faith in the creator, um, the creator God that is, claim that there is no evidence for God. Yet he is there. He is here. He is present, not just in us, but in all of creation. In the Christian faith, we believe that God reveals himself in two specific ways. One is what we call general revelation, and the other one is special revelation. General revelation is the visible evidence in the majesty of creation, from humanity itself to the countless uh, panoramic views in existence to uh, the very governing laws in the universe that we previously described. Now, whether you love the mountains or, or, or the ocean is, is your thing, or maybe the desert is what you enjoy, when you stare at the setting sun or even a rising one, for that matter, and light reveals creation. How can you conclude it all happened by chance? No. When we are honest with ourselves and we keep an open mind, God reveals himself in the flight of a bee, in the singing of the birds, in the cry of a newborn, and even in the swaying of the trees caused by the winds that travel the circumference of the earth itself. Those who subscribe to the theories of evolution claim that humans are nothing more than animals who evolved through a natural selection. Survival of the fittest. Perhaps you've heard of these terms. We are indeed part of God's created beings, but 
Does that mean that our so-called primate cousins were not fit to evolve into a higher form? What gives us the right? How is that natural selection? Who, who determines that? Who has the final say? Random? That's hard to fathom, isn't it? Worse, it's difficult to believe. Take the giraffe, for example. It has a series of valves along its neck and a sponge-like organism right, located right behind its brain that allows for the blood supply to, to and from the brain at a calculated and, and controlled fashion. If a giraffe has is, is been down drinking water, then that sponge prevents massive amounts of blood from rushing into his brain, causing it to pass out and potentially get eaten by a lion. When the giraffe lifts his giant long neck, those valves along the vertebrae slow the flow of the blood down so that this blood pressure is not changed quickly. As a result, it doesn't pass out and gets eaten again by a lion. Have you ever gotten up, you were sitting down and got up too quick and you felt a little dizzy? Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. How can this physiological necessity evolve? The first time it happened and the giraffe passed out and was eaten by some lions, how did the dead animal pass the genetic knowledge to create a sponge-like organ behind the brains to its offsprings? It simply cannot. Only through design can the giraffe do what it does. The Apostle Paul wrote, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through the things that God has made. So humans, he says, are without excuse. Although they knew God, he says, they did not honor God as God or thank them. Instead, their reasoning became pointless and their foolish hearts were darkened. While they were blaming or claiming to be wise, they made fools of themselves. Romans 1, 20 and 22. Therefore, let us examine the revelation of God and creation and recognize our purpose to bring glory to our, our Creator. As mentioned, we have general revelation, and then we also have special revelation. And this special revelation is, is the revealing of God in a more personal and in relational way, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ, both in his person and through his written word. One of the best ways for us to experiment with God, aside from just reading his word, is through prayer. And prayer is how we connect to our good father who created us to be in fellowship with him. Prayer is what we are instructed to do in God's word. The Barna Research Group reports that Americans believe in the power and impact of prayer. Four out of five, they said 82%, believe that prayer has a changing effect in a person's life. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, 1 through 4, we have a, an abridged version of the Lord's Prayer that we find in the Gospel of Matthew, which is, Jesus tells us how we should pray. Simply says, Father, uphold your holiness. We acknowledge who he is. Bring your kingdom. We acknowledge his purpose. Give us the bread we need for today. We present our request. Forgive us our sins, but we also forgive those that have wronged us. We act like he does towards us in, in compassion and lead us not into temptation. We see God's protection. The Bible also gives us these special revelations for praying. It says, it says ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Matthew 7. 
The faith chapter we mentioned it previously in, in Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We also find these crucial principles for our Christian faith in the word of God. In the book of 1 John, where it reads, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing to Him. You see, friends, faith leads to hope, and hope brings us to obedience, and obedience delivers us to the goodness and compassion of God. The last proof of God that we have that we like to share is what some have called the way of life that works. If we humans go on killing each other as we often try, then we will simply cease to exist, right? Yet what leads us to get along, to coexist? Is it just a feeling of preservation or, or something deeper and more meaningful? As humans, we develop ways of doing things, and through tests and trials, experiments and failures, we learn to improve upon the condition for us all. That is a, that is a godly characteristic instilled in us. Yet our ways always bring death. Think about it, both physical and more importantly, spiritual. And so the Bible challenges us to live the way of life, not the way of death. God's way of life produces abundant life and true peace, not death and destruction. Even Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. How do we accomplish this? By the encouraging words of the prophet Isaiah. When he reminded the people of God, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon them. Yes, I believe in the big bang. God said creation happened and bang, it happened. I know it's silly. But I do choose to believe in a God that is not only responsible for creation, but is ever present in it, guiding us to make discoveries and develop ways to help each other live an abundant life. So what will you do with that knowledge? Are you ready to get to work with whatever it is that God is calling you to do for His honor and glory? You make your choice as we pray together. Father, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed by you, by your commandments. So that what, what, what is seen, Lord, was not made from what was invisible. Through you, Lord, all things were made. Without you, nothing was made that has been made. Even if we could ask the animals and they could teach us, or the birds in the sky and they would tell us, or speak to the earth and it would teach us, or let the fish in the sea inform us, which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In his hands is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Nature itself recognizes your work. Open our eyes so that we may see it as well. Lord, truly the heavens declare the glory of your majesty. And the skies above proclaim your handiwork. I therefore praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Thank you, Father, for creating us so that we may live in fellowship with you. 
Creation is so vast, yet you choose to make us so that we may live our lives for you. Help us and guide us to do just that, that we may represent our gratitude for you in all that we say and do. Help us to live as you call us to do, not for the self, but for the blessings of others. Just like you showed us in the person of your son, but whom and through whom all things were created. Be with us now as we continue to marvel at your creation and our humble place in it. For we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening falls in crimson rain. His fingerprints in flakes of snow, his breath upon the spinning gold. He charts the eagle's fly, commands the newborn baby's cry.
I love that song. It reminds me that God is Lord over all creation because he created it. We are so grateful to have had you join us in this service, and we pray that you will be motivated to put your own faith in God into action. Please visit our ministry website at 217faith.church, or as you watch us here on, on YouTube or, or on Facebook or on X, wherever you are, help us to spread the word by liking and sharing and clicking those notifications below. If you want to support our evangelistic efforts, please access our, our Patreon account and become a contributor and enabler, really, of this ministry. Uh, we'll add that description below uh, uh, here of this message. And so we thank you. God's calling humbles us to preach his message of hope, of love, and invitation. So please join us, and together we can reach more who surely need God's welcoming words of grace today. Spread the word. Visit our website, 217faith.church, and utilize the resources that are there to help you through your own Christian experience, to help you to share the goodness of God's message. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face to you and grant you peace. God bless you.